This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in New Jersey discussing a terrifying story of cat and mouse ending in death. Then we'll discuss a couple of feuding neighbors that leads to murder. So buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Garden State. The mind of a stalker can be very dangerous. Most stalkers do not suffer from hallucinations or delusions, although many do suffer from other forms of mental illness, including depression or substance abuse. Behavioral issues found in stalkers are often indicators of underlying personality disorders, which commonly includes antisocial personality disorder. Psychopaths' stalking behaviors tend to be predatory in nature. The victim is viewed more as a target for control, retribution, or revenge, rather than as an object of a fantasy, obsession, or infatuation. The vast majority of stalking victims are stalked by someone they know, but not always. The case I'm about to talk about is one of the rare ones. They're not in love or resentful. They haven't been rejected. They're not friends or enemies. What's the motive then? You decide. Karen Welsh grew up in the town of Marlborough, New Jersey. In high school, Karen was an honor student and would be at home studying instead of dating. She was well-liked and the homecoming queen her senior year. She attended Lehigh College in Pennsylvania for college, and there she met another student named Michael, and they started dating, which led to marriage in November of 1989. Three years later, she gave birth to a baby boy. But unfortunately, after five years of marriage, she and Michael decided to call it quits. It was very mutual. They just weren't working out. Conscious uncoupling. There you go. So Karen became a single mom and had a very normal, kind of a mundane life. Or so she thought. But on Christmas Eve of 1997, Karen was at home when her phone rang. And you know, back then, you had absolutely no idea who was calling you. You just answered it. No caller ID. You couldn't screen calls. You basically just had to answer it. So it was 1 a.m., Christmas Eve. Kind of a late time to call unless it was an emergency. So, I mean, I would answer the phone back 1 a.m.? Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's somebody's dead. Yeah. You're like, I've got to answer this, of course. And when Karen answered, the person on the other end was using a voice changer. No. The voice changer from the movie Scream. What year was this? So this was 97. Scream oh. came out in 96. So very timely. Yeah. And obviously very freaky. Yeah. I mean, that would freak me out now. Uh, but I mean, especially then when it's only been out a year and that's probably. I was thinking like the voice changer in Home Alone. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. The person was reciting dialogue from the movie screen. Stop. Yeah. Just word for word. This is this is our friend Yancey's wet dream. <laughs> oh, God. We need to find a screen voice We changer. literally do. But we have caller ID on our cell phones. Oh, never mind. We have to. I started to say use a pay phone, but I, ew. Yeah, I don't. I, where is one? I don't know. Ugh. Well, this person got their hands on one of those. They were saying, you know, the whole spiel, what's your favorite scary movie, yada, yada. They were saying they were watching her, that kind of thing. So Karen was alone that night. Her son was at home. or With her dad. Her son was with dad, yeah, staying the night with his father. So she freaked out, but tried to convince herself this is just a prank. Screen just came out. They found yeah. a voice changer. They're probably calling random numbers, whatever. Right. But the calls continued over the nights to come. A lot of them were just hang-up calls with no one responding, but some of them had the scream voice changer. Okay, in 97, she could have had caller ID, because I remember- Could you? Well, I remember- Man, we didn't even in like- In 97, we had- <laughs> Well, now we had a little box that the, the huh. phone cord would come out of the wall, out of the yeah. whatever it's called that's on the wall. The jack. There it is. The phone jack. 
short cord plugs into the caller ID. Phone cord from the back of the phone plugs into the other any on the caller ID. So it was like the oh, go-between. Well, my family did not do that. We had one. Man, they just went I think we had to pay up. extra, like well, to rent it. It probably was an extra cost. Yeah. But she we had one. It. Really? Mm-hmm. We never had she caller ID. She didn't have one. We went straight from phones ringing, you have no idea who it is, to cell phones. It was like we had no caller ID at my there house. There was no in between. It was just like, ah, who is this person? Yeah. Did you have call waiting? No. We had that too. I don't know. We just didn't do the, the fancy stuff, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. You'd be like, hang on, that's my other line. Oh my gosh. And <laughs> sorry for this tangent, but calling someone and asking for them and having to go through their mother first. Or their dad. Oh Ugh. my gosh. The Y'all anxiety. will never know. The youth will never know the anxiety of you call and you have no idea who's answering. I remember calling oh. and ordering like pizza to like prank somebody uh-huh. and sending it to their address. And I'm like, how oh did gosh. we remember our friends' uh, oh, of course home did. addresses to send a pizza? And then they would just take it. You didn't have to give them a credit card or anything. It was a wild time to be Crazy alive. Crazy time. I still remember one of my best friend's home addresses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know my address now. But anyway, she didn't have caller ID. And the calls continued. And sometimes she would be getting 10 a day. She had absolutely no idea who it could be, and the calls were blocked, so she couldn't trace them even if she wanted to. The only thing that Karen could really do was change her phone number, and she did multiple times. The caller always figured it out. Oh, no. Then, one Sunday afternoon, Karen and her son were driving home from the mall, and she noticed a truck following her. She didn't really think it was following her until she pulled into her townhome complex and the truck parked behind her, like blocked her in. She quickly grabbed her son's hand and ran inside with them and locked the door. She had a gut instinct that this was the person who was calling her, but she didn't recognize this vehicle. She truly had no idea. She didn't get a glimpse of the person. She just took her son and ran inside. She called the police, but guess what? They didn't take it seriously, which is very common in stalking stories. The calls kept coming for the next 11 months. Sometimes there were hang-ups and sometimes they would talk. She was super stressed out, as anyone would be. So her friends told her she and her son should take a vacation and get away. So Karen packed up and they went to Florida. They went to Disney World, and her birthday was during the trip, so they were having a great time. Then when they went back to their hotel room, there was a call. Karen answered it, and it was the scream voice singing happy birthday to her. She was terrified and dumbfounded. How did he find her? She called the police. There was nothing they could do, they said. They tried to trace the call, but it was made with an unidentified prepaid cell phone. Someone is just really going through it. Yeah, they are. So she, of course, started to wonder if this was someone she knew. Mm -hmm. She didn't go out much, so there wasn't a lot of options as to who it could be. And they knew her birthday, they knew her vacation plans, they knew where she lived. Two weeks later, over Thanksgiving weekend, the stalker slashed the bushes around the perimeter of her house. Two-thirds of the bushes were slashed. And that made it a clearer view on her front door from the nearby woods. She walked into the woods and found a perch set up, like looking toward her her home. And it was discarded with cigarettes all over the place. Like someone was just smoking and watching her. Yeah. She called the cops again. She does that a lot. An officer went to her property and checked everything out. And he said, There's really nothing we can do. They can't patrol? That's what I said. I'm like, at least patrol. And he kept alluding to, if they do more. Why? It's like, what, if they hurt me physically? If they kill me, then then you'll do something? If they break into my home or hurt my child? Like, how much damage has to be done? Like, someone slashing your bushes? Well, trespassing. Yeah, calling you and following you home, blocking in your car. I would have rigged my yard and my home up like home alone. It's I'm not terrifying. even kidding. That's that's 
very scary. Stalking cases make me so angry, and it's about to get worse because the first detective assigned to her case said, quote, at least if you were raped, we would have more evidence to go on. Pick up a cigarette butt, bro. Exactly, exactly. And he said, give me a call if something happens to you, like if you get raped, and I'll give you a ride to the hospital. Oh, my God. So he's basically like, well, if that happens, we'll get some DNA evidence. Yeah, you're right. A cigarette butt? Hello? <sighs> this is giving me a minute, I know. Right? It's, it's going to get way worse. The same detective later questioned a childhood friend of hers as to her credibility and commented, that since she wears leggings when she goes running, she deserved to be stalked. He also asked her friend, quote, what goes on in that little head of hers? This guy's a dick. Abysmal. Nobody deserves to be raped or stalked. And this is a detective trying, this is who you're calling for help, and this is the best that this you town, got. That this town has. Yeah. Oh, my God. A few months later on Valentine's Day, the stalker sent Karen a handwritten note in the mail. Later that day, she ran a quick errand that took just like 45 minutes, and she returned home to find the flagpole near her porch dangling like it had been snapped off. The pole was twisted and stabbed into her front door. Uh-uh. She took the card to the police and said, hey, can you test this for fingerprints? They wrote this. They mailed it to me. They took it, but they never got back to her regarding this card. In August of 2003... Now we're jumping ahead. Started in 97. Oh, my god! Yeah, this goes on. Her credit card was charged three times, totaling $100.90 worth of merchandise and shipped to a non-existent address, which was just the yard across the street from the home she owned. And it was a home she owned from 92 to 94, not even her current home. Just very strange. The prosecutor's office told her that the threshold for a subpoena to access the subscriber information for an unauthorized charge was $101. So because they charged $100.90, they were 11 cents short, so they're like, we can't do anything. This is infuriating. After this, she canceled and reissued all of her credit cards. Two weeks later, she received a duplicate copy of the last three months of her American Express bill. When she called American Express to inquire about the statements, she was told that someone called Amex and ordered the copies to be sent to her by giving the new account number and her mother's birth date. This wasn't her that did that. Oddly enough, the police tracked this down to someone living in New York. They didn't know who it was. They just were like, it's coming from someone in New York. So Karen was still getting around 20 calls a day at this point. The person was still showing signs of being near her home. And then something started to go missing inside of her home, including one of her high school yearbooks. Ew. Something about that's just very which, creepy. Which, she's 38 or she's in her late 30s at this point. So he had to go through her stuff because your books, no, no one leaves your yearbooks out. You're not, that's not your coffee table book when no. you're in your late. I mean, mine's at my mother's house right now. He would have had to like gone through her closet, which meant he probably, It's a creepy thing to do. Yeah. Once she had a screw placed in the center of her tire, the AAA guy who helped her out was like, I've never seen a screw so deliberately placed. You did not run over this. Mm -mm. A total of 12. Years pass. 12 years. Of just harassment. Just harassment from a stalker. Nothing has been done. Not a single thing. Imagine having a stalker for like six months, let alone 12 years. It's her life. Mm -hmm. So it's unusual for anyone to stalk someone for this long. Most cases are short term. And in very badly. They do in badly typically, yeah. And Karen always had her guard up. She didn't have the slightest idea who to even be looking for. Right. She didn't even know if it was a man or a woman, and there were no clues to point her in the direction of her stalker. She said she became a social recluse. She couldn't take the chance or put her son in danger, so she just stayed at home and was looking out of her windows all the time. Karen was at a loss, so she started asking her friends and family to contact Senator Torricelli on her behalf. Please do something. This has gone on for 12 years. It's insane. 
Unfortunately, the Monmouth County Prosecutor's Office became annoyed at the letter-writing campaign because all correspondence to the senator was just forwarded to the prosecutor's office. So he got the mail back. One evening, Karen was interrogated for a period of over two and a half hours by the lieutenant at the prosecutor's office. The first half hour of the interrogation involved having Karen identify and provide addresses and phone numbers for the family and friends who sent letters to get help for her. The final question to her was, have you ever pulled this shit before? And she was told at that meeting that the note from the stalker she got on Valentine's Day was accidentally destroyed during uh, fingerprint testing by the prosecutor's office. Uh-uh. So not only are they not taking her seriously, they're like acting like she's pulling something on them. And then evidence is destroyed. And your blood is going to start boiling if it's not already. Her ex-husband tried to get full custody of his son, of their son, when he was 15 years old. Not because he was worried about their son being in the crosshairs of a stalker, but because he thought their son wasn't safe in Karen's care. He alleged that she suffered from significant mental disorders and fabricated the reports of being victimized by a stalker. In other words, he thought she was making yeah. the whole thing up and went to court over it. Like, this woman is making all of this up. None of this is even true. Put any... Yeah, and it was a long ordeal. None of his allegations were sustained, luckily, but what an asshole. Like, you have all this going in your life, and then you have an ex-husband trying to get custody, custody of your kid. No mother's going to do that. Gaslighting you into thinking you're the crazy one. I mean, and her friends knew her. They knew she wasn't. I mean, I guess someone could have done it themselves and then took, taken pictures as evidence, but why would you destroy your own property? What would she get out of it? Right. She wouldn't get anything out of it. Well, one day, Karen got a voicemail that said, Call me back, baby. You're real hot. I'm going to stalk your ass. Yeah, I got your number, and that's not all. You're going to get yours. Same stalker voice. So she had actually, she had evidence now. Like, she had a recording. So she gave police the tape. And luckily, they considered the voicemail a death threat. So the police finally started investigating. Usually the number was from a prepaid cell phone, but this time the caller slipped up and there was a trackable number. In January of 2010, which is crazy because this started happening in the 90s. It's and, too much. I know. Investigators finally figured out who was behind all of Karen's phone calls. They called Karen and told her that they found him and he confessed to the stalking. His name was Joe Pate. No relation. <laughs> no relation. No relation. No relation to me whatsoever. 55-year-old Joe Pate was a well-respected member of the community, of course. Aren't they always? It's a, He was from the same community as hers. He was married with a 24-year-old son and had no criminal record at all. Quote-unquote, a stand-up guy to everyone. And he wasn't her friend. He wasn't her ex, and he wasn't really anything to her. So it gets kind of complicated. There was an episode on ID that I watched, and they tried to make it seem like he was a total stranger. But I found her blog, and she said that that was mistaken. She did know him. Not well. Not well. Yeah, not well, but that it wasn't like a total stranger. And she said this, Joe Pate and three other leaders of my son's activity interrogated my 16-year-old son at his award review board asking my son if this was a vendetta and quizzing my minor child about family court hearings that were being attended by a few of the adult leaders. I searched more on this. I have no idea what she's referring to, so it sounds like Joe and some other people at an award review board were asking her son questions. That's all I could find. I tried to look into it, but I have no idea. Huh. Yeah. After his alleged confession to police, he was supposed to go into the station and give a formal confession. He never showed up. On January 4th, 2010, he died by suicide before he was arrested. And this is 
a strange method. I've never heard of someone doing this to themselves before. But he duct taped himself into his shed behind his house and lit a fire. How? I know. How can you duct tape yourself in? I mean, I guess, I guess stand, I'm just assuming, I don't know. Because I was thinking this through. Stand by a wall, do it side to side where you can touch and stuff. In terms of when you light the fire, it would take too long for you to get out. But why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. There's, I'm, That's the strangest. I'm not prom- I'm not promoting suicide, obviously, but there's a thousand other ways to do it. That, that no. And you want to burn yourself to death? No. This, and duct Some, taping, it's, isn't it strange? mentally ill? I don't know. No one knows. To just randomly stalk somebody and then commit suicide by duct tape and fire? Everyone who knew him, no one said he had any issues. It does not make any sense. And obviously, no one can ask him questions. But I found his obituary online. And this is even weirder. This case just gets weirder and weirder, and there's not much online about it. But it says his cause of death was from complications related to Parkinson's disease. Not a fire? You don't even have to say the cause of death in obituaries either. No. In fact, most don't say that because I I look. I do too. But yeah, complications related to Parkinson's. It's almost as if they wanted to point out. That this is not what he died from. I'm like, what's the complication? He that's a that's not a symptom of Parkinson's. Mm-mm. It also read that Joe was a 32nd degree Mason in the Valley of Trenton Lodge, a vigil member of the Order of the Arrow in Monmouth Council, and a volunteer blacksmith at the Allaire State Park, and a member of the HAL OEM and First Aid Rescue Squads. I don't know much about the Masons and the Vigils and the Orders of the Arrow, but doesn't that all sound strange? Uh, No offense if you're involved in this. I'm just, it sounds very, uh, I don't know, mysterious. Yeah. And he has a lot of time to be involved in all this and have a job. 16 months after Joe's suicide in the spring of 2011, Karen stopped at a Nordstrom's and the sales assistant, after learning of Karen's name because she was returning something, said, Joe Pate stalked you. Karen was like, oh, yeah, did you see the ID doc that aired? It came out in, you know, February of 2011. And she said, no, I haven't. But I was an EMT who was a first responder to his suicide. And she said Joe left a suicide note with a childhood friend who was a police officer and whom he called prior to committing the suicide. This is all news to her. Huh. So this EMT was told Joe was not mentally well, and if you wanted someone harassed, Joe would be the guy to do it. Kind of acting like someone put Joe up to this the whole time. And she learned Joe harassed the president of the first aid squad. So the president of the first aid squad urged the EMTs to watch Karen's documentary. So Karen hired a private detective who confirmed that there was a suicide note with another EMT. So two EMTs said, yeah, there was a suicide note at the scene, was never put into evidence, was never even mentioned. So when she tried to file a complaint for the obstruction of justice to urge the police to locate the missing note, the police told her that the prosecutor's office told them to close the case. What? And this is unfortunately like the end of it. This case is so bizarre to me. There seems like more to the story. And so the story is on Dangerous Games, which is an episode of Stalked, Someone's Watching on ID. And I watched this all. And it does make it seem like Joe's just a complete stranger out of nowhere who stalked her. And then that was the end of it. They didn't include any of this suicide note stuff and all that other stuff at all. I started learning about that as I read through her blog. I almost want to call her up and ask her for... An interview. <laughs> yeah, can we talk like, to you? What is this? Because I thought it was kind of an open and shut case until I started reading her blog. And I'm like, what the crap? So it's just really freaking weird. Yeah, that just doesn't make. Yeah, so my sources were Karen's blog, True Crime Factor, and The Psychology of Stalking. 
I listened to some of her interviews online. But yeah, I, I really wish we could interview her because how exactly did he know her other than that one instance? Why was he talking to her son? Right. And he, then what? None of that's addressed in the ID show at all. Period. They act like he's a stranger. There's too many questions that and are there, still. Yeah, there are no pot. Well, there's one podcast that exists about this case, but they basically cover what the ID show covered acting like because that's probably where they got they all probably, their yeah. information that she didn't know him at all. I'm like, what the crap is happening here? Part of me, and this is just me being, me speculating, is that her husband might have had, her ex-husband might have had something to do with I it. Can, I, I was going to say, not to it's just a, point yeah. fingers, but it it's plausible. Yeah. I mean, she didn't say they were complete strangers, but she's like, no, we, I never turned him down, never dated him, never did anything mean to him. We don't know each other. We know who each other, we know of each other. And why stalk her and, and not go a step further? Exactly. It was never, he, it was more just, he wanted to annoy the piss out of her and scare her. Yeah. He never wanted to be with her. He didn't show signs of actually loving her. Just wanted to, it was like harassment for 12 years. And then the husband, like, yeah. starts saying, oh, she's crazy, takes her to court over it. I'm going to take the kid away. It just mm. is fishy to me. But I might try to contact her. We'll see. We'll see. Stay tuned. Let's take a break. Are you okay? <laughs> I am. Whew. Oh, well, I've got another case that's going to make you rage. So, mine takes place. 30 miles from Atlantic City in the quaint town of Vineland. Of course, I'm pronouncing it very Southern. They probably don't say it that way up there. Who knows? So it's a great place, low crime rate. And here on Thornhill Road lived the Durham family. Mom Tiffany, Dad Tim, who was a retired corrections officer, and two sons, Billy and Gage, who were 21 and 17. Zach Latham also lived in the neighborhood, just four houses down, and he was a punk, to put it mildly. He was emancipated at 16 and enlisted in the New Jersey National Guard when he turned 18, and then got out in 2020. Not really sure what happened. I don't know if he got kicked out or what. There wasn't a lot Hmm. of information about that. So he and his wife, Sarah moved in to his grandparents' house with his grandparents. So as soon as he moved in, the neighbors were like, mother fuck, who is this kid? He had a couple fast cars that he liked to race through the hood. And if you live in a neighborhood like I do, or you do, Lacey, you despise these people. We have drag racers and these motorcycles. I sound like an old person, but they. They're like, I don't know. They don't have mufflers and they right. do wheelies and they it's so loud. Well, I mean, especially if oh. you have young kids and pets, oh. you don't want no. some 20-year-old or however old. Anybody. Scooting down the street, no. squalling tires no. at all hours of the day and night. So Zach had a Corvette and a Dodge Viper. So he was a cool kid, he thought. He would rev his engines, like I said, squall tires. He created TikToks because that's also what cool kids do, apparently. (laughs) So he had approximately 40,000 followers and he would post videos of these expensive cars that he owned. Mm -hmm. And the videos show him revving the engines in front of his house and speeding through the quiet neighborhood, which infuriated the Durham's. Especially mom, Tiffany, because she's like me and she would say stuff to him like, slow down, you know, all the things. I'd put in my own speed I was going to say, she probably said a lot of other stuff, but he seemed to enjoy pissing her off. Oh, I'm sure. So on April the 6th of 2020, Zach posted a TikTok and recorded a video of him and Tiffany, the neighbor who confronted him over the speeding. and um. Police were called to the neighborhood, so they get into it. You know, they're having words. So in the video, the confrontation was the most popular of his TikToks with more than 3 million views in just a few days. 
So he continues to engage his followers in the comments of the post, prompting some of them to drive to the neighborhood and harass all of the neighbors, like mm. squalling there. Now these all these kids are here, and twenty year olds, whatever. Now I sound like an old person. <laughs> squalling their tires, burning rubber, honking their horns, just aggravating the piss out of everyone in the neighborhood, but especially the Durham family. Mm-hmm. He put their home address on TikTok in the comments, so he basically doxed yeah. them. That's some, that's bad. I'm sure you can watch these videos. They may have been taken down. I didn't because, Holy like crap. I said, shit like this just infuriates me. But I did listen to a few other podcasts about this case, and you can hear the audio of the videos, which just made my blood boil. Zach is clearly antagonizing this family, and he thinks it's hilarious. He's calling her names on the audio, calling her Karen. Karen this. Oh, you're a Karen. Karen that. He's just being a punk. Now he's figured out the more he aggravates her, the more views he's getting. So guess what? He just takes it up a notch. And the videos and social media posts continue. They're escalating at this point. And now the entire Durham family is involved. After the first video of Tiffany went viral, Zach began having problems with her husband, Tim, of course, because that's his wife, yeah. and both sons, Billy and Gage. So there's another video posted on April the 14th that shows an encounter between Billy, the 21-year-old son, and Zach. Billy confronts him and reaches into his open window to either try to grab him or his phone. Zach's recording all of this. You hear him say he's got a knife. Zach say he's got a knife. And then he speeds away. Zach says in the comments that he posted on TikTok, Karen's son found out the video went viral and he tried taking me out of my car. He says, blow this up for part three. Hashtag Karen. Hashtag keeping busy. Hashtag he mad. How did this not get reported and taken down? I don't know. I have gotten things taken down that just didn't even make any sense. Yeah, somebody, this can be up. It's so weird to me how this happens. Right, right. So Billy's pissed off because his home address where he lives with his family has been posted online and people are showing up outside their houses, like I said, honking horns, speeding up and down the streets, just aggravating the whole neighborhood. And Zach thinks it's hilarious. So on April the 23rd, Zach posts a video, which has now been deleted, of him holding a gun that reads, this is how you handle the neighbors. Oh, my Lord. So it's giving you-know-who vibes. You know who I'm talking about. The the kid that... Yeah. Yeah. So that's his whole vibe that he's putting off. So cops have been to this neighborhood a bazillion times at this point, and the whole neighborhood has fucking had it with this kid. So on May the 4th, 2020, Zach is driving through the neighborhood headed to ride dirt bikes with some of his friends when he allegedly swerved his car towards the 17-year-old who was riding his bike with the intention anyone would take of him either trying to hit him or scare him. Either way, it's an asshole thing to do, but he corrects himself. Someone did that to me when I was a little kid riding my bike with one of my friends. I was no. a preteen. Yeah. Oh my god! It was a teenager. I could tell by like yeah. the way they looked. Yeah, they they swerved like they were going to hit us and corrected themselves. That's psycho, unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. So when Zach and his wife and two of their friends get back in that evening, Daddy Durham is waiting on them. Tim, so he's blocked Zach's truck with his truck. And Tiffany, his wife, is recording all this because Zach's been recording it. This is such a mess. So she's recording it. So she has proof to the cops, which I don't know why they couldn't just look up the TikToks. I agree. You can save, can't you, yeah. other people's TikToks? So, again, I listened to these mm-hmm. audios. I didn't watch the TikToks. And it's making my face hot just talking about it now. Words are exchanged. 
Zach drives off towards his house. He tells his wife to record. So now she's recording, and you can hear this audio on this podcast I listen to, too. So they pull up to their house. He knows they're coming because he just sped off away from them. So he goes inside, gets a four-inch knife and a stun gun. And the video is rolling this whole time. So the Durhams arrive, and you can hear Sarah, Zach's wife, telling them, do not come inside. Get off of our property. You, you're not going to like what's in here. And you can hear the stun gun clicking like he's, you know, like popping it. Oh, my gosh. Now Zach's telling them, leave. Get off my property. It doesn't work. They all start fighting. It turns into a brawl. Zach gets attacked by Daddy Tim, and he gets cut several times with a knife. Tim. Tim Durham. And it is, I mean, I don't know how. I I would assume it's the same. It is their property. They're correct on that. Yes, and he did tell, they both told them to leave. But and Sarah, Even though he's obviously right. inciting it, but still, technically speaking, right. you're trespassing. Sarah is yelling oh, for them to get God. off the property. It's no use. They're acting like a bunch of animals. It's Zach and two of his buddies and all three of the Durham. So it's three on three. Oh. But the Durham's are unarmed. The other two buddies are unarmed. Tim's covered in blood. He's been stabbed multiple times and stuck with a stun gun. So the fight's over. Durham's head home and call 911 because Tim's fading in and out of consciousness at this point because he's lost so much blood. Yeah. Zach calls 911 too, and he tells the 911 operator that he needs an ambulance. This is also audio that you can listen to. And he tells the 911 operator he was jumped by 10 people. 911 operator says, are you the one that was stabbed? He says, no, but they had guns. He says, I have blood all over me. I fought them all off and they left. He says again, they all had guns. They came inside my garage and jumped me and my windpipe is crushed. And he keeps saying I'm covered in blood, but it was Tim's blood. The man that he stabbed. Yeah. So cops get there. They take... Billy engaged the Durham boys in to be questioned. Tim is transported by helicopter to the hospital. So cops go down to Zach's house and he or, they order him all on the ground. Body cam footage shows Zach telling the police he needs an ambulance, that the attackers followed him into the kitchen and attacked him in there. So here's the thing. His story keeps changing, but... It's all on video, Tiffany's though. recorded it, the Durham's yes. wife, and so did his wife. So why does he keep lying? It makes no sense right. to me. Like, if they're going to find out. They're going to find out. Right, right. Uh. So police keep asking everyone there, whose blood is this? Whose blood? There is blood everywhere. The officers are very confused. They keep looking at the boys. Does anyone have any injuries? They have some. But nothing was bleeding. It was like a scuffle for them. Right. And his story keeps changing. He tells them he was attacked inside by 10 people. The other people had guns. Uh, but it's all recorded. The cops aren't really surprised that this happened because they've had multiple calls from this neighborhood. Not just they the know. Durhams have yeah. called the cops. So police interview the neighbors and they are all like, those kids over there are nothing but trouble. Talking about Zach and all of his of friends. Course. Zach tells the police he thinks he has a concussion and he can't see. So he's now air evac'd as oh, well. Come on. But released due to superficial injuries. The police interview him the next morning, and that's when they tell him Tim Durham died. The 51 year old had been stabbed three times and died at the hospital oh, from his injuries. That is- Terrible. Zach says, I ran inside the house in the middle of the fight to grab the knife to defend myself. But on the video that his wife recorded, you can see him holding the knife when the Durhams are walking up into the garage. So Tiffany's vantage point from her recording is them walking into the garage. Zach's wife. Like you have both angles. Yes. Zach's wife is in the garage. So she's got what he's got in his hand. When they got there, who threw the first punch, everything's recorded. 
So he is arrested and charged with one count of aggravated manslaughter, two counts of second degree assault, and some weapons charges. Tim Durham had a private ceremony due to COVID restrictions and a 300 car procession of friends, family, and police officers passed by the funeral home to pay their respects. Because, I mean, he's a retired, um, what did I say he did? Corrections, Corrections officer. Yeah. So, I mean, he knows these people. So, the internet split. Like, who's who's the hero? The dad that protected no his hero. family? Or the teenager that defended himself? I mean, the emotions on this street were definitely burning way too hot for too long. And it finally reached a boiling point, And, unfortunately, someone was murdered. Ugh. So, like I said, the entire thing is recorded, and you see the Durham's clearly walking onto Zach's property. They did initiate the fight, honestly. Both Durham boys were charged with trespassing and assault, and Tiffany is charged with fourth-degree criminal trespassing and one count of assault for pulling Zach's wife's hair. Oh, my goodness. But all charges against the Durham's were dropped. Zach pled not guilty. Due to self-defense, prosecutors said he should be denied bail because he had previous juvenile charges against him. Criminal mischief, assault, and terroristic threatening, which all of that was denied, and two weeks later, he was out on bail. Wow. But he couldn't go back to his grandparents' house. I was about to say. Or anywhere near Thornhill Road. He could, no drugs or alcohol. He had to get a job. And these were all stipulations of his bail. And he could not possess any firearms. So, Zach moves to Florida. Fort Myers, to be exact, and starts selling cars. But he stays on TikTok, posting all about his case. And even the Durham's home address Again. What the hell is wrong with him? That is so messed up. His attorneys tell him. They're yeah. probably just pissed at yeah. him. They're like, you're going to keep on and fuck this case up. So they tell him to delete it all, and he does. <sighs> but the more that he posted and the more people pushed back, he began threatening them. So people that were, were telling him, basically, you're a nut job. You murdered somebody. He started now threatening those people. Oh, my gosh. So the Durham's friends and family began calling his work and telling them that they hired a murderer and he was eventually fired. Not long after this, Zach was arrested in Florida for swerving his vehicle towards another driver and shaking what appeared to be an AK-47 at the driver. Turns out it was a plastic air gun. Oh, but but why do you have that? You want it to look like a yes, real gun. That's yes. the purpose of the fake yes. gun in your car. Yes. Yes. Ugh. So he's arrested and charged with aggravated assault, but post bail and was released the same night. I swear. The judge from New Jersey revokes his bail and he is not released until his trial. He is arrested and extradited to New Jersey. So the trial finally takes place. Three years after Tim was killed. Because this was COVID times, right? Yes. Yeah. So yes. everything got so just, just this year, the trial happened. So during the trial, both videos are shown multiple times. Man, you have the whole thing. I'm yeah. just start to finish. And six times you can hear Zach tell and his wife tell the Durhams to back up and leave the property. You see... The Durham strike first. You also see Zach attempt to stab the oldest Durham boy, Billy, but he missed. Thank God. The prosecution paints a very different picture like they always do. They said that the Durhams were baited, and the more he antagonized them and put videos on TikTok, the more famous he became. And if he was really scared for his life, why would he get the knife and stun gun and come back outside instead of staying in his house and locking the door and calling the police? Yeah. I mean, I agree. I think he was baiting them. Yeah. It's, it's a sticky thing because he was baiting them. Yes. But it was his property. Right. I don't know. But yeah. 
why would you tell your wife to start recording this instead of saying, call the police? Yeah, that's a nail in the coffin for me. Unless you were obsessed, which is what they're trying to say, he was obsessed with going viral on the internet. It seems like that's all he cared about, yeah. So on April the 13th, 2023, the jury found 20-year-old Zach Latham not guilty. He was acquitted of all charges, and it was ruled justifiable, and the jury felt he was defending himself. Oh. So he's out. Like it Wasn't never even happened. Manslaughter? Nope, nothing. Holy crap. Yeah, it's nuts. And here's the thing. Oof. There's a lot of gray. Yeah, that's, that's, I'm having, I'm struggling because there is a lot of gray. They were absolutely baited, but. Continually. Continually. But it's, oh my gosh. But it's his property. That's true. But, but it's like, can you be, I don't know. I don't I mean, know. I'm not judging, but I think we all are judging, to be honest. This kid sounds like a real piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, he would have pissed me off. That's for sure. Hopefully he's grown up. And matured <sighs> since all this happened, Please. because I wouldn't be surprised if something like this happened Let's again. Share his address. I'm just kidding. We're not. I wouldn't but, even do that. And <laughs> but here's the thing: he's clearly a repeat offender. He had charges before Golly. this as a juvenile. Yeah. Then this happens. Then when he's out on bail, he swerves towards another car with a fake holding gun, him. like threatening them. And he doesn't even have probation, correct? Mm-hmm. Like he's no, not even acquitted. It it's like it never happened. So. I mean, honestly, he did not do anything illegal. He was in his home. He did tell them multiple times to leave. But I also think antagonizing someone to the point where they're following you to your house and you're just standing, it's just shitty. And then you stab them and they die. It's like there has been a crime, but I don't know what it is. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Right. If this had happened in the street. Right. In front of his house, it would have. It would have been charged differently. All parties could have handled this very differently. Oh, yeah. it, I mean, yes, it was an absolute mess. They should not. Don't do brawls with your neighbors. Just no. As no. much as you want to. But here's the thing. The Man. world is crazy right now. For real. Since we're already talking about shit that makes our blood boil. Ugh. Did you see oh, God. the brawl that broke out in Alabama? No, but I keep seeing memes and I oh, missed it. What do I even Google? My Gosh. How do I miss weird stuff? What is wrong with people? So three people have been charged and 13 people were taken into custody that night for questioning. All charges are misdemeanors and are third degree assault. So basically what happened was this pontoon boat or barge okay. pulls into this dock and it's, I don't, I don't remember how many people on there, three or four white dudes, a woman, um, clearly intoxicated. They pull up, tie the boat off, get off the boat. So where they parked was where one of those riverboat cruises has to dock. Mm -hmm. So they're yelling and telling him, the captains of the boat, you can't park here. You need to move this. Oh, yeah. They're, you know, words are said, whatever. They don't. So the co-pilot or the co-captain, they have the little dinghies, little boats tied on. He has... Somebody drive him over there, another crew from the, and he tells them again, you have to move your boat. We cannot dock. Yeah. Words are exchanged, probably some colorful language. They still refuse to move it. So he goes to untie it because he's like, I've had it. I'm untying it and moving it then because you can't park here. Then all hell breaks loose. They all jump. And this is a black security guard. So all of these dudes and women jump him and start like fighting and beating this guy up. Oh, he's a security guard. He, well, he, I think he was on the barge, like a, or yeah. the, the tugboat or the yeah. showboat Branson, Alabama or whatever okay. the fuck it is. Okay. And so it's he like gets there's off. just a police officer on no, the dock. No, it's not a cop. Yeah. So fight breaks out. They attack him, which then guess what happens? There's one dude that jumps off the boat, the cruise that they're on, like the dinner cruise, and swims over. Holy crap. They're running from all directions. And he's just one guy against yes. the whole pontoon boat of drunk white dudes <laughs> yeah. in Alabama. Oh, boy. So it all 
I mean, shirts. we're from Arkansas. I've seen yes. this pontoon boat before. So they kept the riverboat from docking for an hour. There are 227 people on this boat. Okay. I would be livid if I was stuck on that boat. It's the entitlement. Can Why cops do, not do anything in this? Oh, they what? showed up. It just I mean, the cops forever. got called. No, well, so I think I think from start to finish, it was like an hour because they're audibly arguing with him. You have to move your boat. We cannot park. Yeah. We're here. We need to park. Move your boat. And it just it just kept escalating. escalating. To, and they're yeah. like, no, we don't have to. We're we're leaving it there. It's just that fucking entitlement. So what's the meme with the folding chairs? Because somebody picked up a folding chair and hit somebody with it, like WWE. Yes, I'm gonna watch this video. It's now that I know where it takes place because I've just been seeing pictures of it. And what is this? I mean, the captain asked him to move. They cursed him. They refused. They just shrugged their shoulders, yelled some obscenities. The co-captain, like I said, goes over there to the dock. Mate, you know, say you've got to move this. They get ugly. Just. You cannot just act a fool and expect people not to react. Oh, man. That's bad. It just... We do not condone violence in this podcast. We do not encourage it. I just report the news, but this is the epitome of fuck around and find out. Now, everybody's in handcuffs. All of the people from the pontoon boat are facing misdemeanor charges now. It's nuts. As they should be. I'm... mm. Crazy stuff. If y'all do not stop acting like this, if people do not stop acting like a bunch of damn hoodlums, the aliens are going to pack their shit and leave before I get to meet one of them. And then I'm going to be real mad and get a folding chair. I'm telling you, if you told me this had happened in Arkansas, I'd be like, I bet I know who those people I mean, are. I'm not even joking. Uh, I, oh, crazy. Man. Crazy. What is wrong with people? I truly do not know. Well, I have another bizarre Holy crap. story for you. What are your sources? I need to start following <laughs> them so I can get ideas for Wacky Wednesday. I am like all into, I think I'm an investigative reporter. And I probably get all my facts wrong because I'm reading all the things. The Alicia Navarro case. Yeah. So what's so bizarre is my friend, Nicole, that lived across the street, who has now moved back to Arizona where she's from. She told me about this case years ago. And I almost covered it once, but the this child was 14. Yeah, yeah. When she disappeared from her mom's home in Glendale, Arizona, September 15th, 2019. Um, she found a note, and I saw the note, and it looks like a child's handwriting. And it says that she ran away, but don't worry, she'd be back. She's high-functioning autistic, this child. So the FBI and the Center for Missing and Exploited Children helped search for her. And last week, week before last, um, Alicia walked into a police station in a very small town in Montana near the Canadian border and told them, I'm the missing girl. I'm safe. And could you please take me off of the Missing and Exploited Children's website? I'm not missing. Here I am. Yeah, this is a case I have read about. And she went missing when she was, what, 14? 14. And then she's... Been five years. She's 19, 19 at this point? Yeah. Yes. So she's like, I'm an adult. I'm not missing. Stop looking for me. Take this off of there. But where was she? And it says that the case is still under investigation. There's They're releasing no details on how she arrived in Montana, how long she'd been there. Um, they said every indication she's given us is that she willfully left her home. But she was 14. 14. And if, you, if you've if you seen pictures of her, mm-hmm. when she was 14, she looks like she is nine years old. She looks like a child, old. yes. Mm-hmm. Even her updated picture, she looks like she a child. She doesn't look like a nine. She looks 14 in the she updated looks young. one. Yes, yeah. she does. So, um, like I said, there's, there's no details been released about her disappearance. Um, she's been reunited with her mother electronically it says so either by telephone or maybe they skype or whatever facetime but there's not been any physical contact between her and her mother i cannot imagine she left allegedly on purpose at 14 yeah and survived Mm -hmm. on her own well we don't know Oh, yeah. There's good no point. good point. There's been nothing released. Um, I've seen some people speculate, speculate that she was groomed by an older person, maybe, well, or something like that. But I don't know. 
well, I mean, I don't know her and her mother's relationship. It seems very odd to me that they've only connected electronically. I'm not judging. It just seems off. Maybe there was something going on that made her run away. We don't know that. I'm not saying that there was. Yeah, we don't know what went on in their own It'll all come out. It always does. I guess we'll just wait and see. Mom has said that her family has been harassed ever since her daughter's discovery. And she uh, says they've been attacked online and the internet, which is the opposite of what we want to do or what I'm trying to do talking about this. She said she's had people show up to her house. Just wanting info or why are they harassing her? Probably. Just because people are trying to exploit. Yeah. yeah, We know some podcasters that would do that, Lacey. You're right. right. (laughs) Never mind. But like I said, if you look at the picture, she looks so young. And I I just, mom's asked that people stop making TikToks about her case or people stop reaching out to Alicia. Uh, right yeah, now we not going to do anything. We don't know who took her or why, or if she was taken. We don't know anything. There was a man who was temporarily detained, mm. um, but has since been released. It's her boyfriend Eddie Davis, who is thirty six. They just recently moved to an Indian reservation, Fort Belknap, which is forty miles south of Canada. Wow. And this reservation is allegedly plagued with drugs and sex crimes, according to an article that I read. Uh, The public sex offender registry shows nine registered sex offenders live on this reservation of 3,000 people. I don't know what statistics, but that sounds high. Yeah, I was about, well, I'm thinking of like my hometown with a, a thousand and something people. There are probably way more sex offenders there than that. But right. Yeah. Again, if he's 36 and she's 19, I'm just assuming they've probably been dating for For a while. while. Mm Might have met when she was 14. Maybe met online or something. We don't know. We're speculating because we don't know any information. Yeah, no, we have. We literally know nothing. She left while her parents were asleep. That would just be awful. And ended up 1,400 miles away in Montana. Just the whole thing is crazy. Across. The Crazy. U.S. Yes. Man. Literally. Nuts. We'll find out, I guess. Yeah. Might take a few. No. But. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm done talking. Wow. Well, <laughs> I don't have anything. Where are we next week? We are in Florida. We talked about Florida a lot in this episode. We did. I feel like people from Jersey and New York vacation in Florida all the time. I just got back from Florida. You so did. You did. It was fun. I ate a lot of good food. I oh, swam. I bet. I played in the ocean. See any sharks, dolphins? Did not see any sharks or dolphins. Good. That's a um, plus. No, any riptides? It's been crazy no. there. It, the water was perfect. Oh, I'll goodness. show you pictures. The water was perfect. Not seaweed. There were some jellyfish late in the evening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But nothing. They like were next month to the same area ish as you were. Yeah, water was great. Perfect. I could walk, and we did. We walked out pretty far. Hmm. Far enough to where I was like, okay, I don't want to go any further. But it was still like knee deep. That's good. I like when it's like that because yeah. I'm a wader. I'm not a swimmer in the ocean. Now, I literally did swim. I That's got nice. a float and Love would that. ride waves with my kid. I'm shocked. My kid. You're not an ocean person, you've always said. I, well, I think I've changed my mind. I'm already planning my next beach trip. Oh, my gosh. Look at you. I'm I'm glad you're on board with the beach. I'm a beach girl, so. My, my uh, son bought. Or I bought him a um, giant stingray that he named Jeremy. Huh? Yes. Like, what is? what do you mean by he a just, stingray? Is that a float? a float. Okay. I'll show you <laughs> a photo. Jeremy the stingray. And he would, oh, yeah, yeah. He would just, come on, Jeremy. And That's hilarious. To the point where all the adults were laughing and would that. be like, come on, Jeremy. Very funny. But. There's a oh, video. Oh, that's cute. It's, yeah, it's like I'm gonna a bring it to your pool. Boogie Don't worry. board floats. I will bring Jeremy to your Samuel pool. Samuel loves boogie boarding. They, my grown husband, had the best time. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. big. That is an age where they have a lot of fun. Samuel has two younger half brothers, and when we lived in North Carolina, and they would visit, we would always go to the beach, and they would all boogie board all day long. But like. Not my jam. But. The water was perfect. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful. Great yeah. weather. Perfect. It did storm one day. Which was not my jam, but my hy- dental hygienist told me she had just gotten back from the Gulf, the Gulf of Florida. For those wondering, 
But she said while she was there, they could barely swim the whole time because rib tides were so bad. Two people drowned during their vacation. Oh my god! There she was didn't witness none of that. It, but it was going. It was wild. Um, about a month or so ago, I'm sure you heard about Ryan Mallet. Yeah, who drowned, and he was an athlete. Yeah. Oh, it's just scary. There was none of that. Thank goodness. Good. So I hope didn't it have stays. To yell and scream it, Max, from going out too deep because of the riptides. No, I did not. That's good. Yeah. Well. Be in Florida next week, and I'll be in Florida next month. So I mean, we're just making our way. Making down. our way down to Florida. <laughs> Bye. Bye.